Good morning. Good morning. Let us begin our time as this one may press us. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you. We praise you. You are good. Help us remember who you are. Help our hearts be glad and rejoice in you, in you alone. As we are reminded of your love, how you take lost souls and pull them out of, out of the darkness and into the light. To save us from our sin, to save us from your wrath. Help guide me, let, let me use my words wisely to be clear because you're not a God of confusion. Help us understand your word more clearly and apply it to our lives so we may look more like Christ as, as the goal, as the prize. To give you all the glory, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the life and the, and the death and the resurrection of Christ forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, once again, it's, it's a blessing to be with you all here this morning. God's people, God's servants, students. And I want to serve you by way of reminder on how we have gotten here and where we're at in this point in Philippians. We've come a long way, all the way back in 2022, right? Marshall taught on... Uh, the introduction to Philippians in the first weekend in October. But it's helpful to remember where we have been to, to understand how we got here and to drive home Paul's point maybe with a little more clarity and, and oomph potentially. And so therefore we, we know that Paul's in prison. He's in a, a dire situation. And yet, how thankful he is to these people in, in Philippi, these Philippians, this church. And in that we see uh, Paul giving them assurance of, of God's hand working in their lives, in, in their serv- salvation. He's begun a good work in them. And he is certainly going to bring it to completion. It is a certain thing. Through Paul's awful situation, God is using these circumstances to further the gospel to advance the gospel all around him, all over. And for them, as that's happening, by the way, don't worry too much about me, don't worry too much about Paul, but keep your eyes on Christ, the solid doctrine of of truly God, truly man, Jesus. Keep your eyes on Christ. The humble servant, our example, always our perfect example. And you can't live as a, a Christian, he moves on, you can't live as a Christian uh, a life unexamined as we must work out our salvation in, in fear and trembling. Paul gives us, uh, he moves on, he gives us an example of a, of a good servant here in the flesh of, of Epaphroditus, a, a fellow soldier, Paul calls him. And all of this so far has been shrouded in joy. It's been shrouded in, in joy and and how to experience that joy that's given by God. 
and the clarity of it. Now we're in chapter 3. We're a little over halfway through. And Paul uses himself as an example, a humble example. And has it been helpful so far, Paul's example of himself for you? I hope so. And he breaks his life down and, and how to pursue Christ, not as a hypocrite, but genuinely. As I begin in the text, if, if you're not there already, open with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. It's going to seem like a, a shotgun blast at first, a, a quick flyover view of it as, as we break down these phrases, as, as we break down these words and try to unpack and understand them better. I'm sure you're, most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with this text. It's, it's, a, it's a very popular one, but it, it's, it's phenomenal. It's excellent. And, but by the end, I hope that uh, I'm able to narrow it down for us. Uh, I hope that uh, in scope and, and application. And my goal for us today is, is clarity. And for us to think on how much we really contemplate what the prize that Paul speaks of is. But I am, I'm truly excited. I don't just say this, but I'm, I'm excited to bring the things before you that were very humbling for me this week. So let me read the text here. Follow along. Starting in verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. Amen. Well, Paul begins in, in verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Well, Paul is undoubtedly, to these Philippians, the most mature believer, maybe even, at, at least initially, the only believer that, that they've ever encountered before. And after listening to Paul's resume in verses 5 through 7, and his truest and, and deepest desires found in verse 8 through 11, we, along with them, could start maybe believing that maybe Paul was perfect, or that perfection was something that, that we may potentially be able to grasp here in this life. Now, here at PBC, we understand that this might not be a struggle for us personally. As much as, as every week, sin, its reality, its personalization, its realization in, in our own lives is, is taught very well from the pulpit. So perfection is, is out of our grasps here, or that we might attain it here in this life at PBC. But just as heresies today, like the Second Grace movement, are taught today, there were forms of this in Paul's day as well. Movements that, that would have people believe that, that you might be able to attain perfection 
if you just X, Y, and Z, you do these things, those were prevalent in Paul's day as well as they are today. Movement, uh, and it would seem that it might be a big deal, potentially a really slippery slope for the Philippians or those surrounding the Philippians church. Maybe a potential invasion. Because Paul, he says it three times. He repeats himself three times. Not that I have already obtained it. Again in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already become perfect. Verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet. We know, and Paul knows very well, and John tells us that if we say that we're, in, that we're without sin, we make God a liar. And we know that that's not true. Paul wanted to make crystal clear what the goal is. He wanted no mistake of, of his previous words in these current verses or verses in the future, his words in the future. He's saying, I'm, I'm telling you, and I'm about to tell you what the prize is, what the goal is. Paul's saying here, Let, let's be clear in my statements, in my words. I'm not perfect, and, and I can never be perfect. Just as I told the Romans, I've sinned, you've sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of perfection. I've broken this mirror that I was supposed to be, this mirror that, that was designed to reflect back the, God, the glory of God, His perfection, reflect it back, and I've broken it. And folks, you can't fix this broken mirror on your own. I'm not perfect and, and can never be this side of glory. That's Paul's sentiment right there. And, and the problem with this today isn't that people necessarily claim to be perfect. We're very quick to tell you certainly that, that we're not a perfect people, even in the secular world. The problem today is, is and almost equally to the opposite side, equally dangerous, is, is that we don't know the problem or we fail to admit it, the problem and, and what that is. If you're like me, we're quick to blame why we're not perfect. We're quick, quick to point the finger at what impedes our growth toward it. I don't know, do you blame your spouse? I do, as our biggest problem. Maybe our job. Maybe finances are certainly what you don't have in life. And we fail to realize that, that you, like me, that's our biggest problem in, in holding you back from, from your growth. That is what Paul is not doing. He's not claiming to be perfect. He's, he's well aware that it is him and his sin. Those are his biggest issues, and, and he's taking full responsibility here. Now what Paul is doing is found in verse 12. Paul says, I press on. So we must ask the question, what is what we must ask the question of what Paul is, is pressing on. What is it to press on even? This is to, to have the idea of to run swiftly after, to follow after someone, to pursue almost in a militant or a, a violent manner to a certain degree. This is also athletic talks or athletic words or sentiment. The, the press on here has the same sentiment that he, he said in 1 Corinthians 9.24. 1 Corinthians 9.24, you're probably familiar with that as well. He says, Do you not know 
that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Paul says here, he says, I don't jog or I don't jog. No, I press on. This is game day language. This is game day language. We're all familiar with sports to a certain degree. And the difference between practice and game day, I understand they say practice like you play. I, I get it. I've, I've said that plenty of times. Here's The problem is we understand that there is an intensity that is quite different during game day. The intensity given. This is game day talk. The, the heart given, the effort given. Well, beyond game day, this is championship time. This is it. There's no more practice. Every day, Paul lives like this is Super Bowl. So we have the what. We have the what. Then Paul moves on to the why. Paul pressing on. Then we have the why. He addresses the why, which anything in life, if you have a weak why, why you choose to do something, if it is weak, if the goal is lofty, lofty enough, you're going to fail. You will fail. And Paul tells us his why in verse 12. He says, So that I may attain, or sorry, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to a degree that his purpose, his why is in, in pressing on or his striving. All his working is, is the same as Christ's why. And it, also it must be ours as well. As Paul's not unique in this as a, as a Christian. As every, this is every believer's job. So his why should be your why as well, if it's not already. So Paul and Christ's why, their, their reasoning is found in Romans eight twenty nine. He says, because those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. To look like Christ. All those things that are found in in verse 8 through 11, they are present tense in Philippians 8 through 11. They are present tense. Paul's not saying, it's okay. You You can know Christ later. It's all good. You don't feel like it today. Later's good with me. Or it's okay, you, you seem like you know quite a bit about Christ already. Why don't you just take a break? Why don't you chill out a little bit? No, the exact opposite. Verse 8, he says, surpassing value of knowing Christ. It's a valuable thing to him to, to simply know Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being conformed to his death. It's all present tense with, along with the idea of continual or continuous. It's something constant in his life. The same purpose for which Christ died for him in the first place, for Paul in the first place, Paul is personalizing it, and now it's his too. His only goal, to look like Christ and to make little disciples, little Christs. 1 Corinthians 2.2 says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, if you, if you were to ask me, that's, that's certainly a good why, and, and I believe you would agree with me. 
So we have the what, we have the why, the motivation, and now we have, we move on to the how. How do we press on to the goal of Christ-likeness? Well, that's a, a tough one in full, as it would take the full counsel of God or all the Scriptures to show you how to do that, to know how to do that. That's why we must be in the Word every day. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but here Paul gives us a fairly boiled-down, straightforward, basic answer for us. Very digestible, sort of. Verse 13, he says, But one thing I do. There you go. Instead of complexity, he narrows it down for us. One thing I do. Paul narrows it down here. And I maybe, potentially, he got the idea from David. King David in, in Psalm 27.4. He narrows it down just as well. Write that down and, and look at that reference later. But David has the same prize in mind. One thing he does. The same prize in sight as Paul does. His focus is fixed. Paul, all the time, he uses athletic illustrations or references. He's a boxer. Paul's a boxer. He's, and by saying that, he, he's not uh, boxing at the air. He's got something in view. He's very distinct, direct. He's got a specific target in mind. No boxer just boxes the air. No good boxer boxes the air. He's a soldier. Paul's not getting entangled in civilian affairs. No distractions. He's, he's seeking that to, to please the one whom enlisted him. Later on, Paul's a, a runner with one goal is to win. One thing, he's, he's not all over the place. The runner that's, that's running to win, he doesn't care what the announcer thinks. He doesn't care what the competitor's records are. It's very simple. He's winning. It's already made up in his mind. He's going to win. The boxer doesn't care about, in their training, what the person at home sitting on the couch thinks. He's got a specific goal in mind. All his training is devoted. It's, it's obsessed with that goal. It's absolutely consumed in that goal. Everything. Paul's making no excuses here. He's taking full responsibility, no distractions at all. And what Paul is doing, the one thing that he does, and it's found in verse 13, he's forgetting what lies behind. The negative comes first. Forgetting, to put out of the mind. We all know forgetting, to put out of the mind. In a sense, there's, there's no rearview mirror here. When a runner is running the race or when a football player is about to score a touchdown and they look back to see what's going on behind them, they run the risk of, of loss. When a soldier takes his mind off the mission, he risks death as a result. I watched a, a ranger one time, and a ranger is one of the toughest soldiers that there is on the face of the earth. They, what that means is they passed a, a really intense, one of the hardest schools at one point in their past, in their career. I watched them fail a rather simple obstacle course. Guys, the, the past is irrelevant. What you've done is, is irrelevant. 
Worse than irrelevant, it, it can kill you. Your past can kill you. Christ tells us that, that we're not fit for the kingdom if we look back. So things, as a Christian, things that we must forget. Things we must forget. If you're taking notes, this might be a, a time, one of those things. First would be our sin. We must forget our sin. Hear me all the way through, please. If God has forgotten our sin, wouldn't it be appropriate we do the same? We need to learn from it. We need to repent of it. And keep our eyes on Christ. God has separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. Praise God for that. So one thing we do in forgetting is we forget our sin. Next would be our past failures. We must forget our past failures. I don't think that when Peter was calling out the Pharisees, calling them out, saying that there is one name by whom you must be saved by, it's the only way. When, when Peter was having this conversation with the Pharisees, I don't think he was dwelling on the fact that shortly before he just denied that exact same name. I don't think that that was Peter's thoughts at all. I don't think he was dwelling on that one bit. Again, we need to learn from our failures. We need to repent of our failures if it's necessary. And keep our eyes on Christ. So our sin, forgetting our sin, forgetting our past failures. And and last one for this is even our successes. We must forget our past successes. Focusing on, on past successes or victories can lead to our downfall, such as it was with King David. We're all familiar. It was springtime. We have destroyed our enemies. We're currently destroying our enemies. They're killing it. David decides to take it easy. Should have been with his soldiers like a good king. But he was taking it easy. Then we all know what happens. Bathsheba. Which, obviously, if you read the rest of the story, cascaded into more and more sin. That's typically what happens. Plus, think about this. Those past victories, those successes, God made them happen. God made them happen. You didn't. God did. So I don't know why we rest in them. I don't know why we take pride in them. Focusing or standing on our past victories can lead us to riding on easy street. Taking it easy. We all know what happens after that. You can't press on when you're focusing on easy street. So Paul is, as our example, he's forgetting everything in his peripheral view. Anything that's baggage, anything that's, that doesn't assist him in becoming more like Christ. So if there's any more bullet points that you want to fill in later that's in your life, feel free. That is your baggage that's not helping you become more like Christ. It's gone. It's out of mind. It's into oblivion for Paul. That is Paul's paradigm shift that he had. Living in, in verses 5 through 7, it's gone. His old ways, it's, it's gone. And now it's on to verses 8 through 11. Every day, his main focus, Christ, 
How can I know him more fully? Paul's not perfect. But he sure is striving harder than anyone else to get there, to be ready for Christ. Today, people are all about removing negative vibes. You've probably heard it. Removing negative people from their lives. Cute quotes like, not today, Satan. I, he's the last one I want to provoke. And it's not about vibes. It's not about negative people in your lives. I get it. I understand what you're saying. But it's about sin in your life and putting it to death. That's what it is about. Paul knows he's, he's nowhere near perfect. The picture of Christ lacks greatly in his life. And if that's so with Paul, how much more for you? And trust me, I've got light years to go. So first was the negative of forgetting what lies behind. Now we're on to the, the positive. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. But wait, Paul, you said one thing. You said one. That's two things, right? Well, it's, it's a singular effort. It's a singular task. It's, it's two things that go together simultaneously as, as one. Paul's not looking back. As you can only do one of these things, you can only look or view or focus in, in a single, singular direction. He's reaching forward to what lies ahead. And one of these assists in the other. It's a partnership. He's using more athletic references, reaching forward, pressing on. It has the idea of, of straining every single muscle in the human body. As a, a track runner, picture a track runner running to beat out every single opponent, pushing out their chest as they cross the finish line. Just every little ounce they have left. This is the intensity in which Paul presses on every single day to what lies ahead. Well, as good observers, we must ask the question, what does lie ahead, Paul? He answers that for us in verse 14. Look at verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul is repeating himself to press on. This continual, singular, focused mindset, it's like a pit bull that's locked on. Good luck getting that thing distracted. And it's all devoted toward the goal for the prize. The goal is what disciplined him. The prize is what motivates him. I'll say that again. The goal is what disciplined him continually. The prize is what motivates him continually. The goal is Christ-likeness. He's not just finding a new way to say the same thing, same old thing. And we know that the goal is Christ-likeness because in the Greek here it's a distant work or sorry, a distant mark looked at. It's a spot to fix one's eyes on. Discipline, Paul gives a good uh, picture of his discipline elsewhere. He says, I beat my body into submission 
so that I myself will not be disqualified. He's, the context is preaching here, but, but he's saying, I beat my body, I discipline my body into submission so that I myself will not be disqualified. Paul is disciplined. He's conti- his goal is discipline. His goal is Christ-likeness. You are training your body, you are training your mind, or it is training you. You're training your body, you're training your mind continuously, constantly, or it's training you. I say the same thing about children. It's 100% one or the other. We must understand that. So we have the discipline, we have the goal, in part, our part of sanctification, Christ-likeness, because we understand, we know the, the God's part of it is 100%, and your part is 100%. So our part of sanctification, the Christ-likeness, and now it's on to the motivation, the prize. And that prize is after the end of this life in glory. The prize is perfection. The prize is his crown of righteousness. And the prize is listed in in verse 10 and 11. It's to know Christ fully and his power attaining to the resurrection from, from the dead. Paul, that was the prize that motivated him the whole time. Kept him disciplined the whole time was was that he could see Christ fully one day with sinless eyes to be in his presence in perfection. That's Paul's why. It's why Christ saved us. We must personalize it, take responsibility for it, let that be our cry and our our discipline, our motivation to evangelize, to teach, to preach, to build up the saints, To use your spiritual gifts to the max to serve the church. Paul is by no means a leech. I don't think anybody else, I don't think anybody could describe him as a leech. He's using his spiritual gifts to the max. Like a a Planet Fitness or an organic section on January 1st. It's maxed out or it's sold out. It's quite frustrating. And we see his goal work out in other texts as well. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Sorry, I needed to slow down in my own mind. Although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Paul saw and he knew Christ's goal and he chased hard after that. And so Paul wrote them down and he exemplified them as best as he possibly could to help the church accomplish this goal for the prize. Philippians 1, 9 through 10, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in full knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere 
and without fault until the day of Christ. Romans 15, 15 through 16. Paul says, I, see, I hear some pages flipping, so I'll wait. Romans 15, 15 through 16. He says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points. So as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me by God, for me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest to the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. If there's one thing that we can say about Paul, one big thing that we can say about Paul is that he was others-centered, others-focused. I know that when I think about my sanctification and and. Uh, that process and, and thoughts on that. Me and in, in my ways, I can get caught up in how am I doing? And that's not necessarily a, a bad question, but what I oftentimes do there is, is I'm completely missing the point. I'm completely missing the point as I get so focused on me. Paul is chasing so hard, he's, he's pressing on toward the goal to look like Christ. His eyes are on everyone else. He's singularly focused on Christ, causing him to look at others. Sometimes he's doubling over in pain, most likely over the status of a, a certain church. He's in, often he's in terrible personal circumstances, jail. Not good on a personal level. And yet in that, Paul wants to know and he wants to be sure that you're doing well as the church spiritually. He's others centered. Well, a few ways to, to sanctify well. A few ways to sanctify well. And we all know these, but, but they are the basics in which we must be focused on daily. Today, everybody wants a shortcut. But to true sanctification, there is none. There is no shortcut to sanctification. It is the basics, the fundamentals, all the time practiced well. And once you think you're done, just start right back. Because you're, you're failing somewhere, I promise you. The, the common means of grace by which God grows you and presents you blameless. It's the beginning of the year. It's, it's time that you could potentially start something new in 2023 if you're looking for something to become more disciplined and, and here are some ways that, that you can do that. And you all could probably, you're already there. Time in the Word, right? Time in the Word. It's a reading plan. It's, it's a study plan. It's a, a memorization plan. A reading plan and a study plan are not the same things. They're not the same things. Do you have young kids at home? How about potentially a, a structured family devotion? Time in the Word includes, but it's not only sitting under good teaching and, and good preaching. So we've got time in the Word. How about time in prayer? If you're stuck or, or you, you think that your prayer life is a little 
lacking. How about praying through the Psalms is, is uh, excellent. There are tons of books on, on prayer as well. If you're like me and you forget a couple things, uh, maybe a prayer journal so you can remember and follow up on some of these requests to see how God, how encouraged are you when you're praying over something and, and somebody tells you or, or you follow up and, hey, thanks for praying for this. This happened. God answered prayer. That's one of the most encouraging things. So a prayer journal. Uh, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir here as we do have some prayer warriors. I'm just going through the fundamentals that you all know and, and love. Next would be time with believers and, and fellowship. It's required. It's necessary. It's to be desired. The two are not the same. Time with believers and, and fellowship, the two are not the same. I know plenty of things that are called fellowship that I would label as nothing more than jacking around. And trust me, I'm the first to start jacking around. <laughs> I assure you. But do not degrade the definition of fellowship. Fellowship is confession of faults or, or sin, prayer together, exhortation and, and provoking to love and, and good works, partaking in the Lord's Supper together, ministering to the saints, edification of one another. Fellowship is deliberate time spent pushing others to God and to see Christ more. That doesn't sound like a movies group. I like movies. That doesn't sound like getting together to, to talk about the game, especially not if it's basketball. And if it's hockey, if it's World War II, right, Marshall? That's, that's acceptable. Just kidding, Isaiah. Isaiah's going to pull me aside after this. No, uh, and so fellowship. Time together. So time together is good to just sit around and decompress, but fellowship is, is also commanded. And the last one is time to serve the church. You must take time to serve the church. Pick a ministry. Just pick one. Almost all of them have a spot for you. Is that right, Nick? Amen. Absolutely. Pick a ministry. And you don't even have to be good at it. I remember when, when I was asked to, to help out with the three to five-year-olds. Or, yeah, three to, anyway. Some young kids. And that's how I knew that I, it was not for me, for sure. So I uh, did not stick around for long. So just get involved. Pick it out, and if it's not for you, great. Move on to a different one. Those are the basic means of grace in which God works out and develops your sanctification. It's others-focused, and, and you need all four. And if all four are operating and, and, and the work is being done, not perfectly, but, but progress, right? That's the goal, progress, Christ-likeness. Then evangelism can't not be done. If you're doing all four of those, evangelism can't not be done. God prepares it all for you, to walk obediently into. In verse 14, the text says, of God. Upward call of God. 
in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God in, in Christ Jesus. The of God, that's not saying that it's, it's a description of God, but rather possessing of God, meaning it belongs to God. Such as when Paul uses it elsewhere, the gospel of God, that's not, that doesn't mean that the, 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 the gospel is about God primarily. It belongs to God. What that means is we ought not adjust the call. It's of God. We ought not adjust the call or change it to our liking. The upward call of God is Scripture-based Christ-likeness and running like a madman to get there. It's focused. It's disciplined with purpose. Got to move fast. Now we move on to Paul's advice found in verses 15 through 16. Verses 15 says, Let us therefore as many as are perfect think this way. Paul's including himself here as he is humble. And he knows he's not there yet. But as, as many as are perfect. Perfect here it has a sense of sarcasm. A little bit. And, and there's, because there are some that teach that you can reach perfection. But it also could be translated mature, so those uh, that are mature. But it also has a hint of positionally perfect. Positionally perfect or in Christ. So in other words, he could say, this is how the mature should or do think being in Christ. They must press on as Paul is, keeping focused, no distractions, not in a, a selfish manner but always other-centered with, with Christ-likeness as the goal. He continues, And if, anything you th- sorry, if in anything you think differently, God will reveal this to you also. Or in other words, if you think that you may coast after Christ or become lukewarm, God will show you one way or another. These are corrective words. And I've got to ask you, I've got to ask you, is, is this you? Is this you? I believe in God's providence. This is the text today, and you are here. <laughs> Imagine being the one that had to teach this for the, and run through it for the past two weeks. I don't have anything specific in mind about any of you specifically, but, but we all must be taking internal inventory constantly. This text was very convicting to me. If you're struggling now, if you're struggling figuring it out, where your friction points on pursuing Christ, pressing on, where those friction points might be, I believe most of us already know where we lack. But, however, if it is a struggle, you may ask. Simply ask. You can do that through prayer. You can do that through those who love you. But beware, if you do ask, be mindful of your response when they tell you the truth. Paul is confident that God will reveal these things to you. God, he has given his son. What will he hold back from you for you to reach this goal and this prize? And the answer is not a thing. He won't hold back a thing from you that's needed. 
Verse 16, he says, However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. Paul's getting back to the main idea and encouragement, again, including himself as well. Let us keep walking, keep pressing on, eyes on, focused on the prize. The same standard for all believers to run hard after, which that is, which in, is in verse 10, to know Christ fully and, and to be like him. And attain, that's to come to or to be given or arrive at. We've all been given this standard. We all know Christ. If you're a Christian, you know Christ. And we must always be pressing on to know him deeper. Notice that the mind is never left behind. In conclusion, I want to go to a verse quickly. I want to explain the context a little bit, but Luke 12, 48, the last portion of it. It's, it's a verse you're probably familiar with. The world is familiar with it. But I think it correlates well with verses 15 and 16 in Philippians. The context is Christ, it's Christ's words and, and there's a master that has gone away and, and is coming back and the focus is also on the servants and the knowledge that they have or don't have and the actions based on this knowledge that they are taking or they're not taking. Now, I, I want to be encouraging here, not threatening at all, but I think verses 15 and 16, I think that they are advice from Paul, but also a warning in a sense. And it is a discouraging verse. These are discouraging verses if you leave out God's goodness. If you leave out God's goodness. Luke twelve forty eight says, From everyone, sorry, the last portion of it, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Many take this position of that, that, that this is what you've been given are positions or possessions. Perhaps that's absolutely part of it. But as a believer, we have been given the standard. We have more than what Paul had. We have the full revelation of God right here in our own hands. And remember, it's impossible The goal is impossible, but here at PBC, are we running as hard as we can? Or do we have excuses? Praise God, we have a loving Father, a loving Son, and a loving Spirit. We have a loving God who chastens us, who calls us, and and He shows us until we are. Are we sensitive to this? I'm asking myself more than anyone else, I promise. I want to love my wife as, as Christ, Christ loved the church. I want to, to love my children and, and train them up in the way that they should go so they shall not depart from it. I want to love our church selflessly, not aimlessly. I want to make disciples. I want to love the lost so much that I, I share their only hope with them before they enter into torment forever. Second Peter, we'll close with this in closing. Second Peter one three. Second Peter one three. Seeing that his power, his divine power, has granted to us everything 
pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Given everything, you personally are given everything to accomplish this. There is no excuse. Hard after Christ, pressing on, praise God. I have many examples in this room of people who are working toward this. Let us run the race, press hard with joyful hearts, focused discipline. The goal for the prize, that high calling of a Christian in in Christ. Praise God. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, you are good. You are worthy of all praise, and we thank you for that. We thank you for today. We pray for the word that's going to be brought in the second hour, that you speak clearly through that. We praise you for that. We thank you for these people. We pray for PBC in this year that we would choose actively to give you all the glory that we would run hard after becoming little Christs in your image. And we praise you for that. We thank you for the gospel, for the the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.